Hi guys, welcome to uh, another episode of The Takeoff. Today, I'm actually really excited um, to bring an episode to you. It's our, our first interview episode in, in, a, in a quite some time, but it's the start of um, a number of, of interviews that we're kicking off over the next few weeks. Today, we're, we're joined by Asif Khan. Asif is, is a qualified quantity surveyor originally from South Africa with over 10 years experience. Um, Asif currently works as a quantity surveyor in Sydney and has been working in the industry in Australia now for the last number of years. So myself and, and Asif um, hooked up um, recently to just discuss the challenges and the differences and, and the methodologies basically, you know, coming in from from South Africa and overseas into Australia and and, and the differences in, in in the QS role. So we're going to talk about a few points today. It's going to be a bit of a fluid conversation and um yeah just just really excited to have Asif on the show. Asif, welcome. Thank you, Mick. Um appreciate you having me on. Really excited about this conversation because as you know it's quite dear to my heart. I also just want to start off by saying, you know, I'm loving listening to your show the conversations that you're having on these podcasts, you know, they're good conversations. It's difficult ones. It's not easy ones. You know, you're taking hard critical looks at the industry and what can be done better. I loved your podcast, Five Reasons Why the Curious Industry Might Die, because, you know, there were valid points in there. And I think this conversation is going to be an extension of that. My concerns of are the same. I share those concerns of the curious industry possibly dying. But I think what this conversation is going to do is perhaps provide reasons on how it could be resuscitated. Excellent. And you know what? I I've, I I need, you know, people like yourself who are from the industry as if to come to come and talk to me because it's it's I'm I'm only seeing things from a certain perspective, but you're in the role day in, day out. You've worked on the contractor side, you've worked for PQS firms. And so you've got a really strong overview of the industry. So I guess maybe let's kick kick things off today and and, and maybe sort of um Give a slight introduction to to your background, Asif, and and how you got here today, as such. So yeah, as you mentioned, I've been in the industry for over ten years. I think it's around about twelve to be exact now. Started in South Africa with a big sort of tier one contractor as a site QS, and um, eventually made my way over to Australia uh, on a marriage visa about four years ago, okay. and got into uh, the contracting side. Did a bit of estimating. And uh, eventually made my way onto the QS side. So I've got quite a broad range of experience on both sides. So the conversation today, just to note, it's not going to be, you know, a one-sided thing of, you know, uh, QSs are the best, estimators are the worst type of thing. It's really an impartial perspective on the industry on a whole and what we all could do better, I guess, to improve the, the whole process as a whole. Perfect. And so what, what I'm quite keen to understand, so when you moved to, to Australia four or five years ago, you come in with, you know, with experience working on site for, you know, large tier one contractors. You know, what, what was it like when you first entered your job and started working in Australia? You had high expectations. Was the role the same? Was it different? What, 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 what was it like? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, when I started, my anticipation or expectations was um, that it was going to be much more, I guess, detailed than it was. What I find with the international QS roles is that BOQs, for example, are just your standard practice and, you know, everybody starts, even as a cadet, you, you're just starting measuring and going into those details and 
breaking up formwork into classes and propping heights and, um, you know, concrete into concrete strengths and really going into that detail. But my first sort of experience of getting into Australian market is things are a lot more high level. Um, things move a lot quicker and we don't get, I guess, as bogged down in the detail here. When a project comes out to tender, there is no BOQ. It's mm. just the drawings and, you know, it's left to the builder to resolve, you know, methodology, buildability, making sure that they capture all the scopes themselves. And it's just a very quick process. Whereas in the South African market, there'll be a lot of time spent in pre-construction. So a QS will uh, sit with an architect and a client and really nut out all those details and really get stuck into the detail and resolve buildability issues and conflicts and clashes and coordination between all the different services, drawings and disciplines. Whereas here, I guess because it could be due to the strong demand and healthy sort of economy mm-hmm. that I don't think too much, I guess, emphasis is placed on uh, getting those details right. From a developer's perspective, I think as long as the building's sort of compliant, works, achieves their investment, I feel like, I guess they don't mind uh, those details being noted out by the builder. Yeah. And yeah, I guess it's also a sort of cost of labor issue. Mm-hmm. Whereas the cost of labor in South Africa, especially, is a lot cheaper. Yeah. You can afford to spend that time going into those details. Whereas here, yeah, I guess your consultants are very expensive. So um, I guess the client wants to sort of minimize the time spent um, getting into those details. So my, my understanding of, of a quantity surveyor in Australia is, is so different from what you know a quantity surveyor is from my home, which is Ireland. And it's something that I know, you know, UK, Irish, South African quantities of errors come to Australia and they're shocked, you know, uh, the, the level of responsibility that they may have or the influence that they might have on a project where they're so used to, as you said, being a real integral member of that pre-construction phase right through to the handover. How is it, what, what, what is the role here in, in Australia and how would you describe a QS in Australia? So, yeah, I just want to start by saying that the quantity surveying service as a whole in Australia, like I think we both agree that it's very different. And the significant difference is that it's not being utilized to its full potential in the Australian market. Mm-hmm. Coming from South Africa, and I'm sure you come from Ireland, you have that similar experience. And the industries between Ireland, the UK and South Africa are all comparable. The quantity survey, I guess, is just not being utilized to the same potential that it is in, in those markets. Yeah, And I thought today, you know, there's major factors for that. And um, we can just sort of run through those points one by one. Perfect. For me, the first one is the emphasis here. We've got cadets in the office and we discuss the breakup between their classes of who goes down the QS route, who goes down the PM route. And you've discussed in one of your podcasts about, you know, the QS route isn't as sexy or appealing in the Australian market. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not the student's fault. It's just, you know, them responding to market conditions where the PMs are valued a lot more highly, I guess, than your average QS. I feel clients really just want to engage with somebody who gets the job delivered on time and to the quality that they expect. But as you know, with all respect to PMs, they're very talented at what they do. They get things done on time. They have a great construction technology knowledge. But um, the financial side of a building is a mammoth task in itself. And I don't think it's something that should be 
lumped in with just one team, like the project managers, because I do feel, you know, they've got their hands full. So the quantity surveying service is very detailed. There's a lot of time involved in measuring, costing, pricing, chopping, changing, value management, all the rest of it. And it is its own specialized service and role. That's, that's quite interesting. I'll just jump in there quickly. So what I remember when I first started recruiting for quantity surveyors, that yeah. I remember I went to a contractor and they were a very successful luxury fit-out firm. And yeah. they sort of told me that if you have a really good PM and a really good QS, like that in itself is like a little business, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, that always st- you know, stayed true to me. And then I came to Australia and realized, whoa, the PM is basically the, the main person the main person on, on, on the project. And the QS is to some extent nowhere to be seen. But I also wonder how can a PM do everything so so well and proficiently? And in yeah, that, yeah. that QS function of managing the commercial profitability of a project is yeah. nearly the most one of the most important parts of the project as such, you know. Yeah. So I think that's a valid point. Absolutely. And I don't think QSs and PMs should be competing for with each other. I don't think it's, you know, choose us over them. In other markets, it's definitely a complementary role. So, you know, on sites, there'd be a project manager and a QS and the project manager would fully commit his attention to buildability issues, um, program management, people management, quality, all the rest of it. And he would just sort of use his QS and sort of sit next to his QS and allow his QS to sort of flex his muscle and really get into the details of the commercial side of it and, you know, make those wins on site from a commercial perspective because, as you know, it, it's it's not a, a side hustle or a side job where you can commit, you know, a couple of hours here or there to it. It's, it is a full-time role. And to do it successfully, you're going to have to commit that time to it and spending the time measuring, spending the time getting into rates, spending the time negotiating and all the rest of it. 100%. In Australia, I do think it's a little bit of an oversight from clients and developers. As you know, the different types of contracts here, some of the popular ones are, you know, your cost pluses, your fixed price contracts. But what I've been finding on some of those cost pluses, you know, something will start out at a 10 million estimate for a cost plus and eventually just blow out to, let's say, 15 million. I've seen it actually happen on one of our jobs here. And I just always wonder how does the client anticipate from a budget perspective for something that he was told at the beginning was going to cost, let's say, 10 million and eventually lands at 15. You know, um, I'm sure there's some healthy clients who can afford it. But from my perspective, we care about every penny and we pride ourselves on not presenting any surprises and really controlling those costs and sort of finding that right balance between achieving the project the quality that they expect, the program that they expect, but at the same time, you know, the all-important dollar at the end of the day to make sure that, you know, there are no surprises and, you know, it doesn't put any of our clients at risk and make the, I guess, investment not work at the end of the day. Yeah, I think just just quickly on that one as well, I think it's what's really rings true with me is that probably now more than ever with the cost of, of, of living, cost of material, cost of, you know, everything is increasing because of inflation. Yeah, you would nearly expect that you would need to maybe support and 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 have your your PM working alongside a really strong commercial contractual expert to make sure that your your your, your project's not coming over at fifty percent over budget. You know, so absolutely it, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> absolutely, and that's something I thought of as well. You know, with the looming uncertainty, I guess, in the market or 
what they call an impossible slowdown. I feel like it's now more than ever important to be able to control those costs, you know, sharpen the numbers and ensure your investment stacks up because it's not that, you know, during tough conditions that everything just needs to sort of slow down or, you know, come to a halt, but you just need to be a bit more smarter and, you know, I guess sharpen the pencils. And this is what QS, QSs are trained for. This is what QSs are designed for, you know, to assist helping your investment stack up and rejigging the puzzle to make sure it can stack up even in, in tough times. So definitely I agree with your point now, now more than ever. 100%. And what, what other sort of experiences have you had then from, from you know, the differences between um, Australia and internationally? So just the control of the project. It seems, you know, internationally, a client and a QS are fully in control of a project from start to finish. So it's not that, you know, we've done this design development to a certain stage and we're handing it over to the builder for a couple of months and at the end of it, you know, we get the keys. But, you know, buildings are live beasts. Um, They're living sort of creatures in a sense that, you know, you, you can engage with during the process. And if you see things that you might change your mind on, you know, feeling the confidence and comfort in having those variations but in a controlled manner. Here it seems, you know, as soon as you get into a fixed price contract, the biggest thing you can commit is a variation because at that stage, you know, the builder has the reins and can really, I guess, have an open checkbook with variations because there's no sort of, I guess, contractual limitation. There's no BOQ, there's no rates you can base things off. It's really just you're at the mercy, I guess, of a builder. But um there's a quote by a famous artist, I forget what the artist's name is. It goes along the lines of, you haven't quite looked at something properly until you've drawn it, right? Because yeah. as soon as you draw something, you start looking at the details and the curves and the bends and the, the textures and all the rest of it. I find the same thing about buildings because you haven't really looked at drawings or a project until you've measured it. Yeah. Because I've spent some time in that as a sort of project management role and um, it's only when you actually take the time to sit down and measure a job do you really look at things like, I don't know, slabs, thicknesses, real ratios, details, and buildability and quantities and all the rest of it. So, you know, having the QS holding your hand and sitting by your side during the project, I don't think anybody would end up knowing the job better than a QS that's actually spent the time looking at those details and measuring it. I find it so often during my measure where I will sort of quiz the clients and be like, look, there's this detail that's not stacking up. There's this thickness that isn't stacking up. There's this issue that's not stacking up. And, you know, it's a major surprise um, at a point where it's way down the line and a bit late to really go back and resolve it. So I had a valid point. I remember when I started off this podcast, I was researching quotes and stuff. And I remember coming across a quote saying, you can't manage what you don't measure. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean that's so it's so valid from exactly what you're saying. And there's just so there's so many differences. And, and I mean, currently, as an example, I'm dealing with an individual who's moving from South Africa currently at a very, very senior level. Yeah. And it, it's really difficult for me because I'm having to manage his expectations as to what to expect when coming to Australia, that this is going to be so different from, from what yeah. I've experienced over the last 20 years. And 20 years is a lifetime, is a very, very long, long time, you know. So this is why it's important, Asif, that we have these conversations to to, yes, to, to sort of provide that value for people long term, 
you know, and obviously you, you'd mentioned um, the podcast I did about why the industry could die, you know, and and and, and fizzle out to some extent. And obviously that's maybe too, too a bit extreme, um, which is it's it's a bit of clickbait in, in there, you know. But yeah, yeah, for um, sure. A QS is in what the Australian construction market thinks a QS is. Yeah. So when you say get your QS involved at the beginning, a QS for me isn't someone who's just who's working purely for a PQS firm. A QS is so varied in in in, in time. Yeah. yeah. As an example here, I have a client that contacted me a few weeks ago to say they're looking for a senior CA. And I said, okay, great, great. And the first thing he said is, I'm not looking at QS though. <laughs> and and I was like, well, why why not? You know, because you're getting QSs from all over the world that have been doing this role with their eyes closed. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they're they're looking for someone without the, the qualification in, in quantity surveying, without that commercial experience, yeah. but they maybe want someone from a construction management background to yeah. be a CA. You know, yeah. I was, that was quite interesting. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy because I did hear on your last podcast that um, you've seen like secretaries that have been promoted and all, all respective secretaries and that sort of stuff. But I think the print, the point and principle of your point still remains, which is that it's not the expert in the role and it's you're not you're not sort of putting the right people and maximizing the value that you're getting out of that that position. Absolutely. So, so I guess what 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 would you do differently as a from uh, as a QS from the sort of early early design stages then? So yeah, I think the good QSs around the world we have uh, we share some project management sort of qualities in us in which you know while we're doing uh, the initial measures and early estimates and BOQs where we can engage with you know the consultants and uh, sort of iron out any coordination issues and. Uh, design gaps and selections and I think this is really beneficial to the client because it sort of guarantees the outcome of the product and the quality and the finish that we're getting at the end of the day yeah but it also works for the builder because it really makes life easier for the builder because you're not leaving that you know design gap on the builder's shoulders to have to stress about in that four to six week tender period and then you know maybe end up throwing some money at it and then the cost actually blowing up down the track yeah clients will argue that if we get too detailed and too specific it might negate the competitive process and i don't really agree with that because what happens when there's no details that tenders don't end up pricing the same product and you're not getting a sort of fair comparison of apples to apples you're sort of comparing apples to oranges or vegetables to fruit in a sense because you know it's it's totally different scopes depending on how good the estimator is or the sort of construction smarts that a that a builder has, and the problem from a client's perspective is that it might be an apple that you don't like at the end of the day. If you haven't taken the time to really resolve like specifics, and the builder it's left on the builder and he does something, there's that genuine risk that there's something that you might not like or want to do achieve at the end of the day. And this is a major difference between the other markets is that it seems like the client has way more control and. There's much more of an intention to their projects where they really take the time to detail out those details and trims and colors and selections. Whereas I've seen in some of the projects that start out with very little detail, when it comes time to make those selections, the builder offers them very limited range and the sort of client's hands are tied and because the builder will say, you know, that's too expensive, that's too expensive. 
But these sorts of issues can be negated if you just take the time, sit with your consultants, go through the nitty gritty and put some good detail into your drawings so that you're not left with that headache down the track. Is that is that a very long-winded process, Asif? You know, is that, you know, very sort of labor-intensive? It can be, depending on the building. I don't personally think so because a good QS will know exactly what those financial risks are and what does need to be detailed. And will, you know, as soon as he goes through the drawings, any sort of estimate or detailed estimate of BRQ will be able to flag those items. And it can really just end up being a sort of checklist and be forwarded to the architect and being like, you know, or interior designer and just be like, look, fill in those gaps and we're sort of good to go. But um, it seems like just with some of the quality of the drawings and tender packages that I've seen come through recently, there'd be times where like the material selections are pictures um, (laughs) and (laughs) no real detail or supplier names or, you know, real specifics, codes, et cetera, et cetera. The devil is in the detail for, I mean, The devil is in the detail. Like just, just on my perspective, I had a meeting with a really big client today asx listed business but it's really hard to recruit if you don't give me the detail of exactly Exactly. what you're looking for you know exactly the packages the person's responsible for what they're doing day in day out i mean you're gonna i'm gonna provide a a, you know a a half of what i could provide if i was given more detail yeah 100 percent. yeah i think one of the big sort of barriers to entry for qs is just the fees. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but that's sort of my perspective is that Australians also do look for value. So yeah. when they see a fee proposal and it's a couple of thousand here or there, um, they sort of think like, you know, oh, it's that's a saving that I could make and maybe just cut that out and just go directly to the boulder. But um, with all due respect, the money that I feel that clients and developers or project managers think that they can save from cutting out the QS service uh, because it maybe looked a little bit high, I can almost guarantee that, you know, the value that a QS can provide and save you and control during your project will pay for your QS fee tenfold. Like I'm not saying that to sell the service or exaggerate. Like I genuinely do believe there's a lot of money being left on the table just by not going to the QS. Mm. So in, in, nearly what you're saying is, if you have a bit more of a structure in place, a bit more of like a philosophy in place, you engage the QS at the early stages. It might, might cost initially a little bit more, but you're going to save yourself significantly further down the line. A hundred percent. Just if you take a typical tender process where you've just kept the drawing very high level, not really developed them uh, to a point of specifics and, you know, builders price that, builders price risk they price contingency. Whereas if you get a QS involved and you can see, you know, some some elements going to cost way too much and QS can provide that value management and uh, sort of advise and guide the client of doing something different or making a selection that reduces that cost. Just right off the bat over there, you're, you're going to save in essence about 10% of, a, of the value of the job, just making smart selections and, you know, a good QS in other markets, you know, that's the role that they play. They have that market knowledge. They have that um, technology knowledge. They have that, you know, finishers knowledge where they can guide the client on what's, you know, smart, what's trending, what's popular, what's cost efficient, and really bring down 
that risk for builders because, as I say, builders, you know, at the end of the day, they need to cover themselves at a bare minimum. Mm -hmm. And if there is any detail that hasn't been resolved, they just don't have the time in the tender process to really resolve that and speak to subbies in the detail that they should. Yeah. And really, you, you'll often find that they'll be sometimes throwing money to cover a risk. So it is a game of risk and acuities can really fine tune that, that risk and really sharpen that number that you will see coming back from the tenders at the end of the day. One thing I, I was thinking of just, just there, and I'll let you get on to your next point. A QS, from my understanding, when I recruited back home in the UK and Ireland, I mean, the QS can, could get involved in estimating, procurement, letting of the trades, setting up the, the, the structure of the project commercially, you know, going for a variation, value management, value engineering, you know, closing final accounts, agreeing final accounts. So the, what what one thing is, I mean, if you're someone who's maybe managing a building firm or a client, is that the perception of a QS in Australia is not what a QS is as an overall. And that's one thing I really get frustrated at. Absolutely. Absolutely. At the moment, it seems like, depending on the QS company, we sort of can be very limited to DA estimates or pretender estimates. And after that, the builder sort of taking the reins. Mm. And I just feel like that might be a, a cultural thing or a cultural custom where that's what I guess the market is used to the cures providing. But this is, I guess, the point of this podcast is and discussion that we're having is to sort of advise the market out there that there's so much more value that a QS can offer. I mean, all it really takes is just, I guess, picking up the phone and really picking a QS's brain about what can or can't be done. Because as you know, from your what you do, your service as a recruitment agent and speaking to these QSs that come from other markets, you know that the service that they're providing is a lot more significant and not just limited to your, your pretender estimates and then letting the job run its course. We are involved from early design, construction, post-construction, post-contract, and really ensuring and controlling that that job is a success and the investment is a financial success and all parties walk away happy. And that's another thing that I did want to talk about is that I think there's this misconception between like builders and QSs. And I think builders particularly sort of run for the hills when they hear that a QS is getting involved. <laughs> and I think yeah. that's from my side anyway, I think that's a bit of a misconception. A true good QS is not there to like spoil the party and like close off the blank checkbook from the client. A good QS is an impartial QS. Mm. And as I say, it's not somebody who just declines claims and cuts claims and underpays and stuff. A good QS, if you know there's fair work being done, is also that sort of mediator between the client and the builder to communicate to the client, like, look, this is actually a fair issue that's come up, and you know, the, the builder deserves to be compensated in such yeah. and such way. And from South Africa. A successful QS is measured by, you know, both parties being happy, not just sitting favorably in the client's eyes and being like, look, you know, I saved you all this money at the expense of the builder because yeah. you sort of ruin your relationships with the builder. But, um, yeah, as I say, a good QS is really that impartial sort of mediator and middleman between the two parties and ensures a sort of successful process for both parties. Absolutely. And, and, and another part of is there is that a QS can work for a client, QS can work internally for 
a tier one, tier two, tier three contractor. A QS can work for a subcontractor. You know, a, a QS isn't specifically what the QS is is maybe thought of here in, in Australia. You know, it's a P, where they think it's just a PQS. A QS is so v- v- uh, versatile and is is multifunctional. And this is, this is maybe just another point is that obviously uh, main contractors will employ estimators and cost planners, but they employ CAs as well. And in some respects, you know, they'll have maybe like coordinators in between. But nearly a QS, like a really high functioning QS, could nearly do all of that. In some, yeah. some, so maybe I'm like you're nearly employing two or three people, nearly for one person's job. Is that is that yeah. the, does that make sense at all, Asif? Absolutely, um, and that's what it sort of currently is in international markets. Is that a good QS performs very well in your pre-construction phase, and I guess does a very similar role to estimating. So, taking those drawings from scratch and really building up that BOQ or um, schedules and being able to flag all the risks and create a sort of template to be priced yeah. and even further be able to price those um, items accurately and then further to that continues into that construction phase of what a CA does and really you know constantly I guess remeasures the job during the process of the job because you know you'd have monthly valuations and in Australia, it's very much high-level percent-based. You know, you'll say this trade is about 30% through, that trade's about 20% through, whereas on some of the bigger jobs, shopping malls, high-rise offices, you'd really go into detail and, you know, say, like, look, there's 800 cubes of concrete poured. There's, you know, this many square meters of block work done and be constantly remeasuring. And not only that, you'll have to remeasure to pay your subcontractors and certify claims and really have a financial finesse to be able to manage those processes. So yeah, the QS, a good high functioning QS does perform, I guess, all those roles. Whereas yeah, I I can see that it's um, more distinct than that. And, you know, um, very rare that you see um, estimators jump into the other side or CAs jump into the estimating side or the other way around. Could save, could save a lot of money. Uh, um, on to that sort of next point. I know that um, you, you have some experience working for builders, ASIF, and, and actually working as an estimator. What was that experience like and, and, and how, how would you describe that? So, yeah, as I've mentioned, I've worked on the estimating side and I've seen both sides of it. Um, so, yeah, this discussion's definitely not coming from a point of view of like, you know, any side is superior or worse. I've spent time on the estimating side, had my frustrations and can see a better way to do things. Some of the builders in a competitive market can tender at 0% and um, the margins are cut throughout between the tenders. When tendering at 0%, obviously you have the intention of making that money by squeezing down your trade. So subbies end up hating you because you know the quotes that they provide at tender then have to get cut down just to win the job when you're on the job side. And the issue is that when drawings aren't properly detailed or BOQ descriptions aren't there or the scope isn't clearly defined, it just ends up in fights on site. You know, fingers get pointed uh, across the table, responsibility gets thrown around, and as I say, relationships break down. With that tendering process being only 
for sometimes six, if you're lucky, six weeks, you're resolving millions of dollars within a short two-week period, you know, taking into account the time you need to measure and everything else. Once you get the quotes, there's a very restricted period of getting into the detail of people's quotes, like asking them the necessary questions, making sure that all the scope's covered. And um, with that time constraint, you're really just sort of quite loosely throwing throwing around um, allowances to cover of scopes. And this is what I'm talking about is that if a proper sort of design process was followed and, you know, there was a team that took the time to resolve all these possible clashes, coordination issues and defining of scopes, this is not something that is just benefiting your clients to get a sharper price. It's actually benefiting your builder because you're ensuring that, you know, your quotes and your scope are the most accurate and competitive uh, scopes and numbers that you can present to your client in your tender. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I really want to get builders on board with this as well. We're not competing with you in any way. We're merely saying, look, we can complement each other. We can really take a lot of the stress out of the tendering process for you. If you have schedules of quantities and stuff, you know, you can easily pass it onto your builder and really speed up the time frame it takes to get a quote back from your builder. It also speeds up the comparison between quotes because you know that the quotes and subbies are pricing apples for apples and, you know, you don't have to spend all the time checking uh, scope for scope. And there's no surprises at the end of the, the line when you realize somebody's left out an entire item. Mm -hmm. So really this is benefits for both parties here. I think that, that is a, that's a great point. As if uh, this is to, to, for the betterment of the industry, you know, this is for, from a, client perspective from main contractor perspective subcontractor perspective you know i've had so many conversations with subcontractors you know over the years that haven't got paid or it's taken them months and months to get paid and it, all it does is breed bad light to the industry and i'm always thinking of talent so how can we attract the best talent coming through and we want to more positivity in the industry so i think that's a great point you've made Absolutely. with regards to partnering as opposed to and supporting each other as they Absolutely. can see. Absolutely, and I guess what 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 would you say? You know, if you're if you're a, a client right now, and if you're you know listening to this, but by chance, I mean, what what would you say the next steps would be? You know, if they're you know wanting to 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 kick off a specific project, what should they do? Yeah, so it's just as simple as picking up your phone and calling your preferred QS, pick his brain about how he could help you, what value he sees uh, that he can provide you over the course of the job, um, just be open, be willing to be sort of guided. I do understand, you know, you might be averse to the high fees upfront, but this is something you can absolutely be certain will come back to you tenfold down the line. A good QS, um, as you know, will pay his own fees by the money he's putting back in your pocket, you know, the the amount that he can shop on your tenders that you get back, the control of any variations or additional claims, that money in itself pays back those fees tenfold. And I do sort of understand that I guess the market can't really sometimes get bothered or be bothered to get into the details and preferred, you know, just one fixed price to avoid all those headaches. But as we said earlier, you know, the devil is in the details, unfortunately. I personally have experienced hundreds of thousands of dollars in the details, if not millions. So, you know, let your QS go through those details. That's what we do. That's what we train for. That's what we specialize in especially on some of these cost plus type of open checkbook jobs, just having that intermediary to ensure that the client's getting value for money instead of just handing the builder that open checkbook and 
sort of having free reign. I do understand that, you know, the market is based on a lot of trust and, you know, relationships. And I do like that. That's one thing in the Australian market that I do admire. Like there's a very positive spirit and a lot of things are built around the trust and relationship. But if we're being critically honest and about reality, we're all humans at the end of the day. Humans do have our flaws. You know, there's no guarantee that, you know, builders won't add in extra dollars here or there to a couple of invoices or claims that might not be warranted or could be done a different way. So, yeah, ultimately, pick up the phone, have a chat to your QS. I'm, I'm pretty confident that the good QSs out there will be familiar with exactly what we're talking about and, and what we can offer and really be, be open to, yeah, receiving that additional value than just those uh, early estimates and pretender estimates and day estimates because I do believe that the dollars and value that uh, are going to be, you know, returned back to you uh, will be a positive thing. Absolutely. I think I think one thing I just need to uh, compliment you on, Asif, is that come on to the show today, you've discussed your background, you've discussed some of the challenges that the industry is facing. You're, you're now shedding some light on what a real, what a, high-functioning QS can offer to the market. And I think that's so important that we start to really engage with experts. I just think if I had 15 million to spend, I want to spend it as wisely as possible. I don't don't want to, I don't want that blown up to 20 million or 22 million, you know, because that that, that, that could be, that could be catastrophic and that could be dangerous and it's dangerous for the industry. So I think, you know, just want to commend you on coming on the show today giving your input. And I genuinely believe that if there were more people like yourself, Asif, who came out and started really speaking about this, that we could start educate the industry as a whole and things could get a lot better. So you know, thanks for coming on the show. No, absolutely. I appreciate that. And as I say, we're not here to compete with anybody or diminish anybody else's role. Yeah, it's QSs, you know, it's this is a, a positive approach. We want to work with estimated you want to work with yes, you want to work with clients, developers, and it's not telling anybody how to do the job. It's more, you know, shedding light and shining a light on the value that we can offer, the value that's waiting in the um, in the distance to be utilized. And that's what we want to do. We want to offer that value and really see the projects sort of improve and the process improve for everybody. This is really not just a, a personal, selfish, benefiting type of type of discussion. It's it's really an overall holistic improvement of the industry as a whole absolutely you know what it's it's great to see people with passion you know it's great to see guys in the industry who who want to come out and and and, and discuss and and actually come up with solutions at the same time not just complain you know yeah. um, <laughs> i do a lot of complaining on the show so it's good to have solutions for once which yeah. is which is which is awesome so yeah. again thank you so much for coming on the show asif it's been an absolute pleasure no, thank you, Mick. I'm um, looking forward to seeing where this goes and possibly many more discussions in the future of how we can get this right. Perfect. Speak soon. Thanks, Mick. <laughs>